chapter 13. It's a familiar story, one that we've uh, addressed years ago. There's some real good lessons in here, and I pray that the Lord will bless us to glean from some of the lessons that are taught here in Numbers chapter 13. It teaches us some really good examples. It's the story of the Lord uh, blessing some folks to go out and spy the land that he's promised to give them. He's already told them, I'm going to give you a good land. It's a prosperous land. It's a great land. But he was giving these promises to his people, people that were chosen of God. It was a, a, a chosen group of people. But it oftentimes they were like us. They were doubtful. They were rebellious. They didn't claim the promises of God. And as a result, they missed out on a lot of the blessings that God had for them. And that's the way it is with us. God could have arranged this story any way that he wanted to, but he told Moses to select 12 men to go out and spy the land. Now, God knows everything. God knows all about us. God could have said, I want you to choose only two men to go spy the land. I want you to choose Joshua and Caleb to go out and view the land. But God, who knows all and is in control, he said, I want you to choose 12 men to go out and spy the land. God wasn't surprised about the report that the 12 men brought back. And so I think that part, if not all of the reason that God did it the way he did was for our benefit and for us to learn some lessons. If he had only chosen Joshua and Caleb to go spy the land, then we probably wouldn't have learned some of the lessons that we learned because of the 12 that he chose. Because they all saw the same thing but they came back and brought a different report and it says that Joshua and Caleb were men of another spirit now that's the way I'd like to be I'd like to be in the camp of Joshua and Caleb and I'd like for you to be in the camp of Joshua and Caleb as well. Because the spirit of the other ten, or the vision and report of the other ten, received actually the judgment of God upon them. And I think it's really good that God chose the twelve because... It's very likely that we might have a tendency to fall in the camp of the other 10 who came back. And even though they saw the same thing, their report was completely different. What is it that makes the difference between those, they all saw the same thing, but those that came back and gave a positive report compared to those that came back and gave a negative report. The 10 that came back and gave the negative report told all the reasons that they couldn't go and claim the land. 
if, if, if we don't watch it, sometimes we get in the mindset of telling folks all the reasons why you can't do something. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we can do it. In fact, God has already promised the land and they begin to claim the promises of God. Let's look at this and we'll lead up to it. The children of Israel, you can go back in chapter 11 and you can see that uh, they were complaining. God had delivered them from the Egyptian bondage, but they weren't. Uh, and they were in the wilderness in the journey to the promised land. And God was providing for them and they didn't want for a thing. God was providing for his people. God was merciful to their their. Uh, uh, the, the, the punishment and the chastisement and the great affliction that was upon them in the land of Egypt when they were in the land of Egypt. So God sent the plagues and God allowed for a way for his people to be delivered from that bondage. But they weren't far from that deliverance before they had forgotten how they were afflicted. And then they began to complain. They complained about uh, what they they complained about where they were and they were given to being a complaining people and when they were complaining they even though in their mind they thought maybe they were complaining uh, to one another they were actually complaining against God and God didn't take it lightly they said that they wanted flesh to eat. God had provided manna for them. And it was uh, every day he would send uh, the adequate supply of manna. And they said, well, we, we think we want flesh to eat. And so God sends this. Uh, it, it, in the beginning, it looked like a blessing. And then before uh, it was over with, he sends quail, an abundance of quail. And they got to the point that they couldn't stand what God had sent to them. But they were given to complaining. And you know that. If we aren't careful, we can fall into that category of being a complaining people. We can complain about the government. We can complain about the weather. We can complain about our health. We can complain about our retirement. We can complain about our children. We can complain about our brothers and sisters, our husband, our wife. We can just be a complaining people. When in some cases, when we're complaining about what God has blessed us with, we're actually complaining against God. And with the children of Israel, God did not take it lightly. So let's go through this real quick and, and look at chapter 13. It's really, really good. God, the, the, they wanted to view the land. And so God said, okay, here's the plan. Here's the plan for you to go out and view the land. The land that I've already promised you. The land that is flowing with milk and honey. The land that is a prosperous land. The land that you already have titleship to, ownership of, I'm going to allow you to go and view the land. And by the way, Moses in chapter 11 and chapter 12 of Numbers, when the people were complaining, Moses gets real discouraged about it. And, and Moses says, well, well God, I, I, I didn't birth these people. Why do I have to deal with this? And Moses went to God and, and, and then he was complaining to God about the, the people that were complaining. And so then God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy the people. 
And then all of a sudden Moses goes and, and he says, well, 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 by the way, God, don't destroy the people. Uh, you've loved them before and you've had mercy upon them before and you've delivered them in the past. And if you destroy the people, then the Egyptians will say, uh, God led them out in the wilderness to destroy them. And so God said, I'll have mercy on them once again. And aren't you thankful that God is a merciful God and he has mercy upon us over and over again comes down in chapter 13. And so God says, since you want to view the land, here's the plan for you viewing the land. And I'm going to paraphrase it. I won't read all of the, the, the tribes that they're from, but each one you can go through and read in the first portion of the chapter. Moses said, here's the plan. I want you to uh, have one person out of every tribe, and I want you to send these out together. And then he told them, he gives them a blueprint or uh, a format to follow in going out and viewing the land. And it says, Moses sent them up on the mountain and Moses sent them out to spy the land of Canaan and then to bring the report back. And here he's very specific in it. He says, you go out and spy the land of Canaan. And he says, uh, you get you up this way southward and go up into the mountains and you go and see the land, verse 18, and go see what's in it and go check out the people that dwelleth therein and, and, and view the people and see whether they be strong or weak or few or many and go view what is in the land that, that dwell there. And go view whether it's good or bad and, and go view the cities and what they shall be and, and whether the tents or if they're strongholds. And he says in verse 10, 20, and what the land is and whether it be fat or lean. Now God knew about the land. They weren't going to acquaint God with any of this. But God sends 12 men to go out and to, to view the land. He says, see if there be any wood therein. And he says... And, and, and be ye of good courage and bring the fruit of the land. Now it says the time was of the first ripe grapes. It was the harvest time when they went to view the land. And it says when they went up and they searched the land. It says they began to pursue and go through the land. And as they were ascending. It says they came to the brush brook in verse 23 of Eskol. And it says they cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two on a staff. And they brought the pomegranates and of the, and of the figs. So basically, they're beginning to give us a picture right here that the land was in the time of harvest, but it was a prosperous land. And they said that the grapes were so large and the cluster was so large on the grapes that it took two men to carry a staff between them to put the cluster of grapes upon it. It's hard for me to imagine. I, I, I love grapes, and I especially like those big grapes, and, uh, and they're really good and when they're juicy. And, and I prefer the seedless type, and, and that, that's my preference. But, but I, I can't hardly imagine how big these grapes were that they had that they were two men would carry them on a staff between them. Anybody here ever been to the Redwood Forest in California, in the northern part of California? I mean, those trees look abnormal to me. It doesn't even look, it, it, it doesn't even look like they ought to exist. 
Trees that are so large and so tall that they look abnormal and, and that the trunks are so wide that they can hewn out a place that you can drive, drive a car through the trunk of the tree. It just, to me, these trees are big to me here at, in Bel Air, Maryland and Mount Carmel and all around that are 100, 120 feet tall. In California, uh, 300 plus feet tall. It's just unbelievable. That's how it was in the land of Canaan. It was a prosperous land. It stood out above the other land. It was a blessed land. It says it was a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And it was a land that God had prepared and preserved for his people, for his chosen. And God had led them on this wilderness journey to enjoy the land, to live in the land, to prosper in the land. And so God allows them to send some spies up and view the land. And he tells them the journey that he wants them to take. And he tells them the things that he wants them to look at. And all 12 of them saw the same thing. I think that's really important for us. To, I, I know I've emphasized that numerous times. But all 12 saw the same thing. Where do you fall in the report? Where do you land? Where do I land? Where does Brother Steve land? Where does Brother Andrew Huffman, Andy White, Chuck Smith land in our view of God's land, of Canaan's land, of his church, of his people? How do we conclude? What is the, what is the bottom line? What is the report that we would come back and, and share with you about the land, the church? His kingdom, his people. How do we view the land? Do we view it like the ten that came back and said, yeah, there's some, there's some good things about it. But we can't obtain that land because the enemy is too great. The enemy is too strong. Or do we fall in the camp of the Joshua and Caleb and say, it's a wonderful land. And yeah, there's some challenges along the way. We've been blessed and it's a great blessing. A, a great, it's, it's a great blessing. That I don't know if we fully understand and appreciate the blessing of it. But we've been blessed here at Mount Carmel to have six or seven young men to come through in the ministry and to, to, to preach the gospel and pastor churches. And, and what a wonderful blessing that is for Mount Carmel to be able to witness that. But in every case, I've, I've had the blessing of sharing with these young men that if they look at the ministry and they view their role in the ministry for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years and all of the challenges, they'll get discouraged and they will not pursue that role. In fact, Brother Asa said, and he won't mind me sharing this with you. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit after that. But when Brother Asa began to start in the ministry, Brother Mark remembers this. When Brother Asa began to start in the ministry, uh, began to exercise, began to speak. And I talked to him one time and I said, Brother Asa, you know, what are your thoughts about uh, preaching and pastoring? And he said, well, frankly, Brother Stephen, he says, it just looks to me like there's some things that are not very appealing in the ministry. And I thought, if the Lord's in the matter, he'll convict him to help in those areas. And God did. And those very areas that troubled Brother Asa, 
he began to feel a burden and a desire to be used of the Lord to help in those areas. If you look at the the next 20, 30 years and the challenges, and you start focusing on the challenges, you'll pitch in the towel. You will. So what makes the difference? What makes the difference? You might say, well, it's my personality. Each, each of us have a different personality. And my personality, I'm, I'm talking about all of us here, folks in general, that some people are just more prone to be optimistic than others. I'll just ask you, if you see a glass that's half full or half empty, how do you view it? Is it, is it half full? Or is it half empty? I mean, really, that's about how this comes down right here. Where do you land? I think there's some things that are... It says that, that Joshua and Caleb were of another spirit. No doubt these were all children of God, so they had the spirit of God within them, but they portrayed something that were a little bit different. It, I didn't describe them. The scriptures say that they were men of another spirit. They viewed things different. There was something different in their life. Well, I think there's some things that we can glean from this that, that will help us early on. Luke, it'll help you right now. If you, if, you, if you take and glean from these things and apply them in your life, it'll help you the rest of your life in the way you view things. Tristan, it will you as well. These are practical lessons for us here in, in viewing life as a whole and the blessings of God. And it will make a difference not only right now, but in the rest of your life if you view these things. He said, first of all, Yes, it is a prosperous land. How could they deny that when you've got men, when you've got uh, Bray and Danny that are carrying two staffs with a, a cluster of grapes upon it and they're walking amongst the people? They had to conclude that, yes, it's a prosperous land, that God is blessing and it's a prosperous land. But it says that after they re- returned, after 40 days, It says, they went up, they went and they came to Moses and to Aaron. And it says, and to all the children of Israel. And it says, they brought back word of the uh, word unto them and to all the congregation. And they actually brought back some of the fruit of the land and they showed them the fruit. They showed them that it was a prosperous land. And they told him and said, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us and surely... They, they conclude as a group that our report is that, yes, it is a land that flows with milk and honey. And here's the fruit of the land. Now, really, that's what they were supposed to report on. But they come back and they add to the report. They said, we saw in the city that uh, there's some Amalekites there. And we saw the Hittites, and we saw the Jebusites, and we saw the Amorites. And we saw those that dwell in the land of Canaan, and, and the, the, the ten, the, the ten that came back and gave a different report, they said, well, those people are giants in the land, and we're just as small as grasshoppers. 
And if we go over into the land, we're going to be consumed. And even though it's a good land, even though it's a prosperous land, even though it's a land flowing with milk and honey, the enemy is too great in the land and we can't overtake it. So it didn't take very much of a few people and they began to get all the congregation stirred up. They began to give this report that the enemy is too great. And so the congregation, the group as a whole, the congregation gets worked up and they say, Moses, we would have just as soon uh, stayed in Egypt. Moses, we would just as soon live here in the wilderness. What do you mean, Moses, leading us all this way to come to this land and then to be overtaken by all of these enemies that are in Canaan's land? And it says all the people got worked up. You can read it here. I, I, it says the, the people got worked up against Moses and Aaron. And it says Moses knelt his head. And it says that, that, it, it says that um, Caleb, look, look what it says about Caleb. It says in verse 30. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it. For we're able to overcome it. But the men that went with them, the other ten said, we'll not be able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report. This is what's described of the other ten this is God describing this. It says they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched. And the children of Israel saying the land through which we have gone to search it. It eateth up the inhabitants therewith and all the people that saw it are men of great stature. And he says in verse 33 there's giants in the land and we're but grasshoppers in their sight. Chapter 14 says that the people the people, the congregation, they lifted up their voices, they wept, they murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said, we would to God that we would have died in Egypt, or we'll just stay and die in the wilderness. And then it comes down, and in chapter 14, as they're complaining to Moses, as they're murmuring to Moses and saying, you've led us up here to die. It says Joshua in verse 6. It says Joshua and Caleb, the son of Jephthani, which went with them that searched the land. They rent their clothes in mourning. It says, and they spake unto all the company of Israel, saying, they gave a different report. It says the land which we pass through to search it. The land itself is an exceeding good land. And then they said something that's real powerful right here. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that floweth with milk and honey. Now... It comes on down and you can read the whole chapter here. It's really, really good, chapter 14. 
if you continue reading on down. We need to pray that we're of the same spirit of the Joshua and Caleb's. We need to pray that if an evil report goes out, that the people are encouraged and comforted by the report that Joshua and Caleb would give. It comes down and it says right here, it says that uh, God judged those men that came back and gave the evil report and stirred up the Lord's people. And he said something here that I was perplexed about. He said the iniquity of men can pass down to the third and fourth generation. So don't think for a minute that your choice and your sin will not affect anybody else. He says right here that your sin, and it did uh, upon some of these children at least, and some of the grandchildren, that these folks were not allowed because of the report that they gave. They were not allowed to go in and possess the land. God said, you're going to die in the wilderness as a judgment of murmuring and complaining and not holding to the promises that I've given you. And he says the iniquity can be passed down to the third and fourth generation. That means that can go all the way down to your great grandkids. It does. I'll share this. I'm not saying this about anybody else's family, but my own. So it's okay for me to talk about my own. I didn't know much about my great-grandfather. The only thing that I knew about my, about my great-grandfather is that he liked to argue. And he was very effective to pass that down into the first and second generation. And I'm the fourth generation. And I have to work really, really hard at not taking the same approach that my great-grandfather took. So I'm, I'm just saying that on my family, not your family. Maybe you don't have challenges like that to deal with. But he says right here that the iniquity can be passed down to the third and fourth generation. So it's something to at least consider. It is. But it says right here that, that Moses, Moses was encouraged. In verse 24 it says, but Caleb... Because he had another spirit had followed me. He says, I'll bring Caleb into the land. And he went in and possessed the land. But he said, those that are murmuring and complaining. He says, I'm going to leave you where you are. Because you've not only complained against Moses. But he says, you've complained against me. And God was taking it really, really serious. Now I want to say something right here. Because I believe it's certainly appropriate. And that it fits right here. I believe that his church is very, very precious to the Lord. And I take it really, really serious that we should behave appropriately in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because I believe that it's a precious possession to the Lord. And I think he takes it very, very serious. What is the difference? I mean, if you're not like Caleb and Joshua, wouldn't you like to be? 
I mean, if you, if you look at your life and, and you do an assessment of your life and you conclude that, yeah, I, I, I murmur, I complain, uh, I, I, see, I see the negative side of everything, I, I respond with discouraging remarks all around, and, and the way I build myself up is to tell, tear other people down. If I find that that's the approach that I take, wouldn't you like to be like Joshua and Caleb, have another spirit about you? Well, here's some things that I think help that might help us. Joshua and Caleb remembered and claimed the promises of God. If we take the promises of God and we hide them in our heart, it's going to help us a whole lot in how we view things. If we can take those promises and, and we can hide them in our heart where God says that I'll never forsake you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you through all your challenges, through all your troubles, even death itself. I'll never forsake you if we know that God is there. If we know that, that God's promises are true, God had already told them that he was going to give them the land. It didn't matter that they were Larger and that they were giants in the land. That's not a problem with God because the battle is the Lord's. One reason that we find ourselves thinking more like the other ten is that we are looking at the wrong thing. If we look at the obstacles, if we look at the challenges, if we look at the difficulties and we focus on that and that's all we consider, then we'll be just like the other ten that say, we can't take the land. The enemy is too great because that's what we're focusing on all the time. But if we can look to the Lord and we can say, uh, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I mean, do you really believe it or not? Do you think that it applies to you? Do you think it's there for your good and for your benefit? If we claim those promises, then even in the midst of the giants in the land, even in the midst of the obstacles, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the difficulties, we can go through it because we know that the Lord is with us. It'll help us on how we view things. It'll also help us if we view things and we realize that God's in control. I'm not in control. You're not in control. God's in control. It'll also help us to realize that even though this may not be a pleasant experience or that's, that's in front of me, I know that God, God is able to work things together for my good and for his glory. And even though I might not understand it, I know that God's in charge. It does me a lot of good to know that I don't have to acquaint God with anything. It does me a lot of good to know that God knows what my feelings are. God knows what I'm thinking right now. God knows my thoughts. God knows my feelings. God knows my doubts. God knows my discouragements. And God gives me promises to claim to help me through those times. What was different about Joshua and Caleb? Was it their personality? Maybe so. Maybe that was a little bit. But that surely wasn't all of it. It says that they were men of another spirit. Why were they of another spirit? God blessed them to 
hold on to and claim his promises. And God blessed them to hold on to the faith that he had given them. May God bless us when we view things. Not to say, not to look at it unrealistically. But if there's two ways of viewing it, may God bless us to view it. As a Joshua and a Caleb. It'll help us in our life. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.